Hey everybody, I would just like to thank you all for tuning back in with me, Lydia Champollet, for another season of What You Need When You Need It. For the first episode, I am very excited to have gotten the chance to sit down with Kwapi. He studied architecture and sociology at the University of Idaho. He's a social entrepreneur, a speaker, an Amazon best-selling author, a creator. Like, this guy is just dope. So it was really awesome to sit down and just talk through all of the things that go into creating such a big show like Shades of Black and then also delving into the ins and outs of working through Amazon as a self-published author and everything else that he's doing kind of outside of that and how he got to where he is now. So without further ado, let's jump right in. I'm going to say $50. Oh, that's not bad at all. It was, I think it was 50 yeah. It was really nice. Oh, wow. Looking at that. I got you. Hopefully I can answer some of your questions. <laughs> Wait, so first of all, could you introduce yourself, please? Oh, are we already recording? Yep. Oh. Good to go. My name is Kwapi Lingasai, and I am, I guess, in a more shortened way, I'm a, an author, an activist, a community engagement specialist from one of the large nonprofits in Seattle. I'm also... Um, very um, social politically active, not only in American politics, but in Zimbabwean politics as well, Which because is that so is my home country. So Hey, yeah. that's the hard part, though, um, trying to balance both worlds. Like, you get so wrapped up in the U.S. politics that mm-hmm. you, you kind of forget about home for a while. Oh, definitely. Which yeah. is what I've had. But um, you were telling me about the 70% on Amazon. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Can you please explain? Because that is ridiculous. Okay, so so this is what happens. I publish through CreateSpace, which is owned by Amazon. So what Amazon does, I mean, it's it's a great platform for self-publishing authors. Mm-hmm. You, you set your price, yeah. and Amazon takes a cut. But because they're also the printer, yeah. they take that cut as well. So they're going to take 30% to say, hey... It's us. We're putting your book in our Amazon thing. Yeah. 30% thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, by the way, we're also printing it for you. So, so we're going to take that little cut. So as an author, you make about 30% for your paperback um, copy. Yeah. So for every for every $10 book, I'm making about $3. Because everybody's like, oh, my goodness, you sold 1,000 oh, copies, yeah. whatever. But I'm like, no, I'm only making a third of that cut. And then, but on the flip side, yeah. um. In the Kindle version, I think Amazon does this to encourage more Kindle books to less paper, all that. So for every book that's more than two ninety nine, mm-hmm. Amazon gives you seventy percent, and they keep thirty. Oh, okay. So, so they're just trying to move over to the thing that's less. Exactly, and and I think and I think that's how they started. They became the biggest yeah. ebook store, you know, because remember there was a time when Nook was big and mm-hmm. all these things, yeah. and then Amazon found these ways to incentivize. The author and ways to incentivize the reader, you know, the ninety nine nine ninety nine a month unlimited where you can read as many books as you want. So yeah. um but I mean what's always difficult is not is that their policies and rules always change and evolve. But And they don't tell you no Oh yeah. Surprise. It's just, they just say surprise. I mean, because of my books I have an exclusivity uh contract oh, with Amazon. Yeah. So on Amazon Kindle, my books can only be sold on Kindle. They can't be on Barnes and Noble, they can't be oh. Yeah. Um, the paperbacks can be in Barnes and Noble, which is and on your website but, and all that. Is, yeah, but yeah. my ebooks, I can't put them on other platforms. They can only be sold. I think one time there was a time where I said my books on Google Play, 
Yeah. And Amazon sent me this email and they were like, uh, yo, dude, oh. why are your books still on, e- on Google Play? Yeah. We're going to give you X amount of time to take it down. We're also going to boot you out. So. <laughs> so they're on top of it. Oh, they're on they're top of like, it. I don't, know. I don't know if it's a machine doing it or yeah. there are people sitting in a basement somewhere just <laughs> Googling every book topic. I don't know what it is, but they'll know. It could be like um, they have this thing called Amazon Turk or Mechanical uh-huh. Turk where people like sit and they do the 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 background work that computers can't do yet. Mm. So they recognize text, they do like pictures, all of that kind of stuff, and you get paid to work for it. That's that. crazy. So that's probably what they're doing, like having people check up on. I'm almost, I'm almost certain <laughs> because it was just like, wait, what? Because like, yeah. I've forgotten about it. So in defense of Amazon and defense of me, it was something because as an author, you know, especially when you've written three, four books over a period of like four or five years, you forget where you put everything. Your book. Yeah. You know, you put it on smart uh, smash words and you put yeah. them, because you're just trying to get it out there to as many people as possible mm-hmm. and another thing they do is that even if you're not in the uh exclusive kdp thing mm-hmm. is that your books can't be sold any other place cheaper than amazon oh okay so if it's 99 cents on yeah. amazon it can't be anything less than 99 cents on any other it can't be free on google play it can't be 50 cents on itunes oh, on wow. ibook it has to be 99 or more because they're also not trying to be undercut wow. so they're very uh it's well okay how did you figure all this stuff out because i feel like it's a lot to oh it's a lot of information to, yeah so um, it was, i think for me how i of course it's a learning curve yeah. you know so you join every respectable forum you can find you google you <laughs> read every blog yeah because you're gonna find a forum where people are just lying yeah and everybody's just saying things because and to, another thing that's always difficult is how amazon handles a canadian self-publishing author mm-hmm. and uh you know the, the people at the biggest advantage are the ones in america yeah um but depending where you're writing from too the rules and regulations change change and are different you could read the wrong one and exactly yeah. you could read the wrong one and sometimes it's also about looking at the date so if you're publishing in 2017 and basing your book publishing ideas on an article written in 2015 or even 2016, yeah. or even January 2017, the game could have changed Holy within God. six. Because Amazon can just change on a dime. I mean, they own CreateSpace, for example, but now yeah. they're trying to consolidate their paperback and Kindle thing. Because the paperback was one thing and then the Kindle publishing was another, mm-hmm. but now they're trying to merge... So now you'd have these two different places where you can publish, but mm-hmm. this one this is still a beta program, still a pilot program. So, yeah. but you have to stay on top of every single thing, and then also make sure not to listen to authors who are trying to game the system. I think right now there's a lawsuit where Amazon is suing authors who try to game the system. Uh, what, do you, what do you mean, like game the system? For example, um, there's this thing. So Amazon, if you have 50 book reviews, yes, think of it like Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Right. You walk into Barnes and Noble, there are those books in the front of the store. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones they want the customers to see first, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Same thing with Amazon. When you get 50 reviews and someone goes and types relationship books, mm-hmm. if you have 50 plus reviews, your book is going to show up in the first two or three pages. Okay. Right? So the less reviews you have, the further back you, the are. Further back you are in the bookstore. Yes. Right? Now, if we started finding ways to game the system and game reviews, uh-huh. And create reviews that weren't necessarily genuine. 
or real, Creative. now we're putting our book in the front of the store and getting more money, and getting okay. more money when yeah. it wasn't meant to be. So the people who were creating those kind of co-ops, I don't know what else to call them, <laughs> like when they were gaming the system. So they, Okay, so basically they were getting together and then faking reviews for each other or... Because yeah, I don't know if they were creating fake accounts that would review. Uh, or asking people to do it for them. Because I think like... I mean, I feel like it's normal to have your book out and reach out to people and say, can you review my book? That's normal, right? Yes. If they've read it. If they've read it. Yeah. yeah, It's another thing altogether to create fake (laughs) profiles that don't exist. With lots of, yeah. It's kind of like writing, going on Yelp and creating your own Yelp reviews. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you don't exist, but you're making your employees and mm-hmm. and everybody else create accounts, creating multiple email addresses, and then now you have this database of fake accounts that go leave... A ton of reviews. Reviews. Mm-hmm. And, which is messed up to us, people, to us other authors who are trying to be genuine and sincere, because mm-hmm. my books only have, like, 20 reviews, 22 yeah. reviews, and I work hard to get those. Mm-hmm. You know, because you chase down every single person who's bought your book and say, like, yeah, hey. hey. I mean, my book to date, there's like 4,000 people who have copies of my book, supposedly. I'm one of them. But I only have, what, 20 something reviews each book. Yeah, okay. You know, so, and then there's this other people who are gaming the system completely. Yeah. And so it, it just, and then it's really interesting. And then some people, like, I've been in forums where people claim to write, like, one book a month. Like 50,000 words. And that's another strategy of gaming the system because you flood the market with your book. Yeah. Right? So now that you have 10 insane. books. And I just have one or two. Yeah. So, of course, my book is going to get overwhelmed by the, your oversaturation. So, so maybe you write 10 books. They might not even be the best books. But they're out there. But they're out there. And because you've got 10 of them, you can be making just $100 on each book a month. But multiply that by 10. You're making, yeah, you're, you're, you're fine. Brand. You're fine. That's like grocery money and like, other, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You so, know? so it's great residual income. Yes, that's true. You know, and you're so, not doing anything after they're out. Yeah, really. I mean, once, I mean, some, it's crazy. Like, it's a whole, and some people run their books, like, they create small businesses around their books. Whoa, okay. Yeah, it's a whole industry of small business, an industry of um, people who've actually quit their day, their nine to five jobs. And focus on writing. The people are making three, four grand a month, but and they write under different pen names, so they're not using the same name. Yeah. And it, so it's all very fascinating. Like, but one thing I always tell people as I say this, don't write a book for the money, because yeah. there is no money. <laughs> write it because you're passionate. Write it because you want to tell your story, mm-hmm. but don't write it because you think you're gonna make money. Because statistically. The average bestseller, sorry, the average book writer, self-published writer, only makes about only sells they say a hundred to maybe two hundred fifty books in a, in a life in two in a year or in the lifetime of that book. Self-published. Self-published. Oh. Boy. So after your grandmother, your cousins, yeah. your friends buy Everyone's your book, <laughs> that, that, that's it. Like that's all there is. So it's tough. I think it's also because there's so much information out there. It's kind of mm. hard for people to find things mm. these days. So. You almost have to create your own platform of readers. Yeah. You almost have to create your own infrastructure. You know, yeah. one thing I learned in my first two books, which I made sure not to make the same mistake of in my second and the one that's coming out my fourth book was, mm. you know, I had, you know, because you know, I have a big Facebook 
presence. Yeah. You know, I have 5,000 people on my fan page. At the mm-hmm. time, I had 5,000 people on my friend. So I felt like all these people, even if 1% buy my book, I'm good. <laughs> and my book was barely bought by people on my social media platforms. Mm-hmm. And I realized just because you got a lot of people you know, it doesn't mean a lot of people read books. True. And it doesn't mean a lot of people read read your genre of books, mm-hmm. right? And on top of that, everybody who tells you, oh my goodness, write it, I'll buy it, mm-hmm. isn't necessarily going to buy it. Yeah, because it's always the wrong time. Like, it's, yeah. So, yeah. so I ended up creating my own platforms. With my third and fourth book, I started creating email databases, collecting mm-hmm. emails of yes. people who had read my books. Then I... Uh, then I created my Good Black Reads Instagram page. Which you know? I love, yes. And so that's growing. So I, I decided, yeah. you know, because sometimes, regardless of what you're in, one of is podcasting, mm-hmm. book writing, you almost have to explore your own audience and create that audience and create that platform for yourself. Yeah. Because not every platform is built the same. And not every, you know, sometimes there's a tendency to want to go to other friends and say, hey, can you share this to your, mm-hmm. you know, to your audience and tell them this? But sometimes their audience is built over totally different interests. Yeah, and they don't really care about the things that you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's why to me, I've learned over the past, you know, and I've forgotten about this. I think it's a lesson I learned with Shades of Black, but I've forgotten where mm-hmm. if something isn't there for you, you create it yourself. True. And that is, yeah, that's the basis for literally everything that I do now. Yeah. I have to want it. Exactly. You have to want it. Yeah. And, and that way, even if there's no one else that's engaging with it, you're mm-hmm. still passionate about it. It's still I your pet yeah. problem. You still love doing it. Because, and and that's I think that's one lesson I've forgotten. Like, you know, Shades of Black, it's going to be its 15th year anniversary this year. Yeah. You know, and I had forgotten that idea of when platforms are not available to you yeah. and you've looked everywhere to find it and yeah. can't find the right one, you have to create it. For yourself. How crazy is it, like, looking back, uh-huh. did you think the first year you did Shades of Black that this is where you'd be now? Like, oh, no. that it would make it to 15 years? Not at all. Like, I thought I'd create Shades of Black, and when I graduate, yeah. you know, the African Sense Association of Black Student Union would take over or whatever. <laughs> but the best advice I got was from the dean of students mm-hmm. at the University of Idaho. Yeah. Because I was talking about graduation and everything, he's like, what the last thing you want to do is give this to anyone else because it'll kill it. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain element. Yes, people can understand it conceptually, mm-hmm. but there's an X factor. That's you. Exactly. Yeah. It was like, there's that X factor. And if you give it to us, because I was initially going to give the the rights to, because I own yeah. the rights for Shades of Black. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's registered by the U.S. Patent Office, so nobody can use it. Nobody can use the name Shades of Black. Travel, like yeah. I, own, I own all the rights, so I was gonna give the University of Idaho all the rights, and he's like, "Don't give this to the University of Idaho, we will kill it." I bet you they were excited though. They were like, "Yeah." You know, they were excited, <laughs> but you know, it's one thing where they looked out for me though. Yeah. Yeah, because they were the ones who were like, "No, hmm. don't give it to us. Just keep keep creative control. Mm-hmm. We'll keep on doing it, mm-hmm. but don't give us the, the keys, rights it, yeah. the rights to it." So how did like how did you even do the the patenting? Like how did you did you get like a lawyer? Did you just sit down um, and like I need to figure this legal out? Legal Zoom. What? Legal Zoom I did everything. I knew about that, but I'm like I Legal Zoom did everything because you know um I created the show then started getting into like conversations about um you know creative um property you know intellectual mm-hmm. property 
Yeah. And, um, because Shades of Black was starting to get a little bit bigger. It was still at like the University of Idaho. Mm-hmm. But when you, other universities like Boise State mm-hmm. and Wazoo and so forth started wanting the show too, yeah. I had to create a, a structure around it. Yeah. You know, Atlanta LC and all these things that allowed it to be an entity that becomes because it starts off as a hobby mm-hmm. but now you're trying to evolve it into a business granted i didn't do everything perfectly some things you learn as you go yeah that's true you know but um so you know sometimes so legal zoom i did the trademarking mm-hmm. for legal zoom then i had friends who were lawyers and i looked at the contracts for the performers different contracting things mm-hmm. um and then like with the contracts that the university right Sign with me that's was created by a lawyer based on my expectations and so and one thing I always say like always have good relationships and keep in touch with people that you've been friends of college because you don't know who's gonna be that lawyer yep. ten years from now. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, who's yeah. gonna be that friend who's gonna be like, yo, I need you to look at this. Mm-hmm. Sometimes and not to say that you hit them up for free. Because no, these are yeah. people, you know, you have to make it worth their time too. Mm-hmm. They'll still give you a homie hookup. Yeah. But like, so it was, so it, it took some time to get to where it was, but I think trademarking it was one of the, right. you know, yeah. best things I did. And I think one of the things that allowed Shades of Black to thrive was uh, really jumping ahead, you know, because we started recording videos and YouTube channels and so forth long before yeah. a lot of student groups were doing it. So it gave us, we, we did photography by high-end photography, like Shades of Black photos are like yeah. professional images. So. Yeah. Because we're thinking about the next show, mm-hmm. right? How are we going to advertise it next year? We yeah. can't be using photos from camera phones. <laughs> you know, we can't be using yeah. videos from somebody. We have Something to use professional shady. quality content. And mm-hmm. so it was just different ways to innovate, you know, because that's what's always fun is like, how do you do stuff? I mean, a lot of student groups, Wazoo and Yorubai, us African students are guilty of it. Like, the African night in 2017 looks exactly the same as African night in 2007. Yes. Because we don't evolve ideas. Yeah, we don't. It's just the same formula. There's going to be dance and a fashion show and a yeah. poet. Like, it's the same. It's the same. But it's because it's easy. And exactly. the cabinet changes every year. So, like, you don't have that transition and, like, teaching other mm-hmm. people how to do something better or, like, grow within the yeah, structure. Yeah, that's the problem. Like, we need to innovate. Like, yeah. <laughs> we need to innovate. <laughs> you know, it's just that. That's a whole different conversation. Yeah. Because <laughs> every African night I've been to, it doesn't matter what state or university, same. is the same, same. African night. Yeah. Sometimes same menu. Like I feel like sometimes we would just Google the, African night <laughs> menu. <laughs> no, I remember because I, I, I ran African night a couple uh, years ago, and you just get like a binder. Exactly. And it has the, the cook that they used the previous year and all of that. Exactly, stuff. the grocery list. Yeah, but what we ended up doing is actually hiring our parents uh-huh. to cook for our year. So that that was a little bit different. There's always chapati and like... Yes, and like cook, yeah. yeah. Just the only thing we added was a vegan element. Because... <laughs> 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 I'm, really, I'm pretty sure my mom would be like, what is vegan? Exactly, because we're just like, oh, well, you know, we're in America now. So oh, we gotta include I, I always tell a joke with my vegan friends. I was like, they always say, oh, you should try a vegan. I was like, it's against my culture. Like... Meat is so embedded <laughs> in the African. I mean, meat is a part of our culture. It's not just a part of our diet. I think literally, yeah. Meat is African culture. Yeah. It's it, it, you know. I think for us, it's meat and uh, milk. 
That's it. Exactly. You could live on that. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like, you know, and they're always like, well, meat is bad for you. I was like, yeah, people have been eating it for like thousands of years and we've been fine. Like, so, it depends which meat you're talking about. Oh, it definitely. Yeah, processed meat or like. It's a pro- yeah. And American meat just has like pretty much chicken, beef, pork. Yep. Whereas yep. back home, you have antelope, you have goat, you have, you have, goat, you have crocodile, you have all these other things that give you a diverse meat and meat that hasn't been injected with steroids yeah, and, and growth hormones and so forth but that's a whole different conversation that definitely is. <laughs> that's a whole different conversation oh, yeah. but <laughs> but uh, i i wanted to ask you about like going to college for architecture and uh-huh. something completely different than what you're doing uh-huh. now uh-huh. Did you did you see it turning out this way, or like you were gonna go get your master's? Um, gosh, it just played out different time. because what's funny is, uh, so I went to the University of Idaho to study architecture. Yeah. And of course, my my dad is a civil engineer. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, my mom was a landscape designer, um, but she went through shit. Like she was finishing her third degree when she passed away, but she she was she did. Uh, she canceled divorcing couples. She was a women's rights activist, and she was a landscape designer. Yeah. So I came with two parents who were totally different in terms of, you know, my dad yeah. is more art, science, science yeah. civil engineer. My mom was more, if I'm more, more arts-minded. Mm-hmm. So um, I had these two different influences. So you go to college, you're doing architecture then. They always say you always meet that one professor who changes yeah. the way you look at the world. And I took the social class. And it just changed um, the way I looked at things. Then I took a urban design class, which was an interior design class, which looked at um, um, accessibility for handicapped community and so forth. And mm-hmm. and then took an urban theory class. Then you start learning about gentrification and redlining. So I started looking at design from a sociological perspective. Um, as human beings, um, what we build affects how communities are affected. Mm-hmm. Or how we interact with spaces. A building can either help uplift a community or, or it can destroy one. Yeah. You know, and so I became really fascinated by that. But, you know, as the political situation back home changed, as as I got more into the world of sociology, I always tell people like you don't stumble you don't intentionally become an activist, you stumble into it. True. You know, you don't yeah. it's it's not a, it's not some nobody goes to college to be an activist. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've never met anyone who people go to college to change the world, but not necessarily to like. Because it's a hard life. It's a oh yeah, it's a hard you're not, life. You're not, yeah. You're not monetizing it. I mean, yeah. even like I know Jesse Jackson will make I'm making money now, but, but they were being before. beaten and chased down by dogs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so you don't. It's not something you get into for the financial gain. It's something you get into because you're just a human being. Mm-hmm. But for me. It was at a certain moment where I made a career choice to go into um, community development, um, social issues, social problems, and just having a family that was supportive of that. Because, you know, as African dads, like, I didn't pay all this money. For you to do something that's Especially a dad who's a civil engineer who had yeah. this dream of you joining his firm. And, oh. you know, I mean, that was my dad's vision. But I yeah. think when my mom passed away, my dad felt like what I did was an extension of her. Mm-hmm. And my dad, by African standards, is a very progressive man. Mm. So he's like, one thing he said, he said to me, and he always said this to my sibling, he's like, you know what? I can give you my advice, but I'm never going to tell you what to do with your life. Because when you're 40 years old and you hate your life, I don't want you to blame me yes. for it. 
I don't yeah. want you to turn to me and say, Dad, my life sucks. And I'm not happy because you told me to walk this path. Yeah. So my dad, like, he'll give me an opinion. But he'll tell you what he thinks, but he'll never force you. That's nice. He'll never insist on Because he's just like, your life, yeah. you live it. Because I have my dreams, I have my legacy. You have every right to create your own. The only thing I owe you as a parent is an education. Once you got your education, I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. You're good. You know, that's a big deal, though. Like for African parents, that's, like, that would yeah, be a huge step. I think my dad. I think he saw it with relatives and friends where they were too controlling of their kids' lives. Yeah. And the outcome was never. It doesn't turn out good. It doesn't turn out good, though, you know. Because my dad. I mean, he was the type of dad where he's just like, you know, tell me what it is you're thinking, what you're feeling, mm-hmm. even if I can't help. It. It was just. It was a household where you were just allowed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, I still remember my sister. When she got a boyfriend, who's now her husband, you know, yeah. but like when she got a boyfriend, like he would park around the corner so that my dad, you know, would <laughs> couldn't see. And so my dad heard through the grapevine mm. that because you know neighbors start talking. Yeah, like I, I always see her get in the car. Yeah, like, exactly. This dude and my dad. So my dad calls my sister and she thinks she's in trouble. Ooh. Then he's like, "I already have a boyfriend." Ooh, okay. He needs to just come park at the house. Oh, and just not hide oh, That way, the neighbors aren't talking, talking about yeah. you like you're doing something wrong. I raised a good daughter. Yeah. So I don't want people to talk because I trust that you're not doing anything you shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. Just don't make it look shady. So yeah. if your boyfriend is a good dude, Bring and if he's a, he can just park here, I don't have to see him every day, whatever. But, yeah. And long behold. They got married in 2000. They're still married now. That's so dope. So oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, but like I said, he's a man. Like, he, like I said, he he's one of those, um, I want to say new age African. I mean, he still yeah. represents a different generation. I mean, he's, he's 64. Yeah. You know, but he just, I think he just had a different way of parenting. Him and my mom had a very, um, very hippie. <laughs> I mean, he was still a dad that would, Hit you yeah, if, yeah. if if you you know, <laughs> but he was still like, and I and I think that's that's what allowed us me and my siblings to be who we wanted to be for better or for worse. Yeah. You know, and um, it creates this relationship where um, it allowed me to you know move from architecture and start doing shades of black and doing all these other things because at the end of the day we were raised in a household where you know. My mother would always say, if you're not living for the greater good of other people, you're a waste of space and good air. Mm-hmm. And so as long as you're living by those principles, my dad doesn't care if you're a lawyer or you're sweeping the street. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as you feel you're happy and you're doing something good. For the world. For the world. You're good. You're good. I've actually noticed that thread in all of your books. Uh-huh. Like, there's just a lot of, like I was reading um, the one you were talking with your friend who was from the Nest First trip. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, and he's uh, like the good wolf and the bad wolf. The good wolf, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> I've read this so many different times, like in uh-huh. so many other people's books, and I love that one because it's the truest thing. Uh-huh, yeah. You literally have a choice in every step of your life. Like, yeah. you can either decide to be a good person and like building things and growing with people, but or you can decide to just be a 
sucking force that exactly. it takes. And the longer you're either one of those things, the yeah. more you become that thing. And it's harder to get out of that. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's hard. Just like some people who are good people, they get done wrong so many times, but they can't stop being good, good people. And yeah. some people who are terrible people, regardless of how nice or good you are to them, they'll always be terrible people. Terrible people. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Like, it's, it sounds very... Uh, pessimistic. Pessimistic, yeah. but... You know, the way I read that story was about choice, you know, and how we raise other people to be, especially as our generation becomes the next parents, you know, because we're raising, we're going to be, you know, that next generation that defines. Which is so scary, but like, yeah. You know, but it's about, you know, what are we raising? And mm-hmm. and if you notice in my book, you know, I always, I always write about these kids I don't have. <laughs> but, but because yeah. with the first book, like, with all these books, I've always written them. When I write them, it's funny because people read them and they think I'm talking about now. Mm-hmm. But I always write them as someone who's giving advice to my kids in the future. Oh, you know, what yeah. my what knowledge can I leave you, my I child? I see that because it's it's almost like a chicken soup for the soul kind of. Yeah, like, yeah, just, I love that. Okay. I'm just saying these are the lessons I've learned in life. So yeah. someone can read them in the present and gain something from it. But it's really something where like one day. When I'm gone, and I hope it's a hundred years from now, and I have a kid mm-hmm. or nephews and nieces, mm-hmm. this is all the knowledge that I have. I've acquired Ooh. in the course of my life, and that's why the books don't end because every year or two, you have something new. There's something new to learn, yeah. you know, and so yeah, it's it's always yeah. But. I like it. Yeah, they're like little short stories, like. You- mm-hmm. Because uh, when I was younger, I used to read Chicken Soup for the Soul. My uh-huh. mom would always give me, like, those little books. And I actually have one. She has one, Chicken Soup for the Mother and Daughter. Uh-huh. And she brought me that a while ago. But, like, every once in a while, I'd be going through something, and I'd open it up to a certain page, mm-hmm. and I would just read that, and it would, like, hit home. Yeah. So I was like, that's what I'm getting from these books. I'm, yeah, because not everything you know. in there is ever going to apply to you. Yeah, you but know? something but, will stick out. And it might not apply to you now, but yeah. 10 years from now, when you read that same thing... Yep. It's all of a sudden like, oh, now I connect with this. Because mm-hmm. for me, I, when I wrote the book, you know, I always, I always tried to write it um, in a free write method. So with a lot of the pieces in my book, once I write it, yeah. I don't allow myself to edit it. So oh, okay. So it'll get edited for grammar, but I'm not going to change the context. Because it has wow. to capture that honest moment I was feeling. That's yeah. why you can read one part of my book and then yeah. read the next book and it contradicts. Because it's also supposed to show my evolution. As a person. As Got a person. It. Okay, now I'm going to start looking for that. Yeah, because there's some things I'll write in the first book. Yeah. And you read the third book. And you're like, wait, in fact, what's funny is that my first book, huh. I'm like very, like, you can sense my, like with the religious stuff, you can sense that I'm Christian. Yep. With the second <laughs> book, you, you sense like, wait, he's now talking from a very yeah. ob- objective I'm not picking a side. And then my third book, I'm like, I'm religious. I'm I'm, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. Like, okay. <laughs> like, there's this, yeah. there's this evolution of thought, like, where, I, where, like, I, I don't know, it's very, like, it, it's, like, you'll notice it, like, where this person's views are kind of changing, or in one book, I talk about minorities gone wild. Yep. Right, where I talk about, like, we have all these issues, but sometimes... We become like Captain Ahab, yep. you know, and, and we we're turn, searching for this. You know, and then the next book, I'm like, 
Black Lives Matter. Like, it's just because the news headline can change your emotion like that. It really can't. And the way that the world goes does have an impact. Like, it leaves. Yeah, it's just so. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's always very, like, interesting. Just even when I read it, I'll read it and I'm like, man, this is what I thought. Mm-hmm. It's like a diary. <laughs> it's, it is a diary. That's and so, but it's written, like, from a. I try to write it from an oral tradition perspective where I'm, like, I'm having conversations. Because that's how my grandfather used to tell me stories. Yeah. You know, it would just be random anecdotes, you know, and so that's when people read it, sometimes they're like, wait, is the story over? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, because it's that... usually like one page. Yeah, it's like sometimes one page, yeah. sometimes it's five, sometimes yeah. it's like literally a paragraph. Yep, I follow. And some people like, because some people, and some of my friends are like, well, I feel like there's more to the story and all that. Sometimes it's not about finishing the story, it's about you going to have that conversation. And, With someone else? You know, like... Because for me, I'm writing in real time. Like I said, I write it in real time. Yeah. And so you're supposed to read it in almost like it's happening. Some things I'll write in the past tense, but some things I'll write in the moment. Like, yeah. there's no conclusion. Because that's how conversations go. Too. Yeah. Like, most times you don't reach an agreement for, or like a conclusion to every single conversation. Yeah, it, it, it never works out that way. Yeah. So like it's... But I always, one thing I'll say to you, to everybody, I always encourage everybody to at least write one book. Write one book. It doesn't matter how long it is. It doesn't matter how short it is. It doesn't matter how structurally it is, whether or not it's written perfectly or not. I think, especially as people of color, every story needs to be told. If not for your community, for your kids. Mm. Um, Those lessons that, that old tradition, because... We come from cultures of oral tradition. True, yeah. And we've lost that. But how yeah. do we preserve that knowledge, those experiences in a new way that for the future generations can? You modernize and you find different... Exactly. Yeah. I think that's why blogging has become such a big thing exactly. in minority. It's, I mean, blog, like one of my friends, she's, she's, she's writing a, a cookbook, oh, you know? What? But like, she's decided to write it in the context for her daughter. Oh, like mom is passing this down to you. Exactly. Yeah, because we do lose that. Like Yeah, we, we definitely lose that. I never learned how to, like, I tried to learn. I never mm-hmm. learned how to make chapatis mm-hmm. from scratch. I, I can't you know, do that. <laughs> and that's something that now that means that I won't be able to teach my daughter exactly. how to do that, which sucks. You're literally losing a part of yourself. As you, yeah. Because I strongly encourage people to, like I said, it doesn't matter how intimidating the process might be. It doesn't matter how... I mean, nowadays it's cheap to publish it, but, like, the person yeah. who designed my book, my book cover, so it was 50 mm-hmm. bucks each cover. Oh, wow. And the, the person on the photo, that was my friend Amberly, she went to Wazoo. What? Like, going back to knowing your Like, it's going back friends. to knowing your friends. Yeah, and keeping them... And keeping them, like, you know, like, you know, so... But I always encourage everybody, write at least... Is that nonfiction or just anything? Whatever you okay. want. Right. Whatever you think your story should be. It could be yeah. fiction. It could be nonfiction. It could be just a list of poems. Mm-hmm. It could be whatever it is. But write it. Write it as if you're telling. One thing we shouldn't miss as a people is every story should have moral. So that's the only... Um, note I would say, write something that has a moral to it, mm-hmm. you know, and like I said, for me, what inspires me the most when I'm writing to my children, 
and I don't even have kids, but to but me, you're planning. you know, but I'm planning, you know, and, and so for me, that's how I write yeah. a lot of my stuff is to say, these are my mistakes. And that's these the thing too, because as a parent, I feel like you get so caught up in making a living and taking care of your kids that mm-hmm. sometimes those conversations that you would have had with them, you don't have time to have. Mm-hmm. So the book mm-hmm. would be like, Hey. Yeah. Especially like times change, you know, I think. 20, 30 years ago, you know, you, our parents had the time to sit at home. And nowadays, even in a two-parent household, both parents are working two jobs. Mm-hmm, and you don't see them. You know, yeah, our kids spend more time with their teachers. Or the TV. Or the TV than they do with parents and, with parents and family. Yeah. You know, so um, we have to find ways to, you know. Save the information. Save that information and pass yeah. it down and pass that knowledge of who we are, who we were, who we are, who we could be, or who they should be. Yeah. You know, so. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Now you got me thinking about, like, what am I, what am I going to do? Yeah. I mean, you're already doing it, your podcast, you know. True, yeah. I mean, this is stuff where, you know, think of it like all this knowledge, all this oral knowledge and legacy you're collecting from different people with different mm-hmm. stories you know one day that's going to become something that yeah. your kids are like oh what was mom up to before she had me and now they're just playing all these weird conversations <laughs> that are around forever exactly oh, and so it's 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 very fascinating thing yeah. it's all there so so um what was what was your process like for writing before, like between the first book and then this one that's coming out soon, right? Yeah, it comes out October 31st. Ooh, yeah. okay. The process was different. Um, what's crazy is that, so, so I have to backtrack. So my mom died of cancer in 2006. Mm-hmm. And so I started going to therapy. Mm-hmm. And my therapist was like, you know, you start writing this stuff down and then sending it out to your friends. So I'd write stuff down, then I'd send an email. Of course, it was friends already knew it was coming. Yeah. You couldn't just type, oh, my mom is dead. Send, you know, like. Yeah, you gotta warn them. You gotta warn them. They knew what the process was. Yeah. You know, and then, and then Facebook started allowing posts. Yeah. Right? So, but as my therapy started working, Mm -hmm. um, my writing just became more about different subjects. You know, and, and then over time, in a weird way, my Facebook feed became a gathering place. Yeah, I did, yeah. Where people come and just debate. It still is. It still is today. Yeah. Like, people come to my page just to... But you, uh, you have some, like, really controversial posts, and then <laughs> it'll just go in, and I could sit there and read the comments for, like, hours. Because oh, people would just go... Because yeah. the thing about my Facebook page, what people notice is that it's not an echo chamber, it's just people who believe Agreed. my page yeah. represents totally different perspectives. Because mm-hmm. sometimes as people, we delete anybody who doesn't agree with us. We, yes. But my page is like yeah. It's everybody. Not a, it's not a bubble. It's not a it's bubble. Still, it's not a yeah. choir. Mm-hmm. You know, it's people who completely... My page is atheist and it has like down like Mormon, you know, yeah. people. My page has like my friends who transitioned and people who are like anti-gay, right? So it has Everything. a whole mix. And so you have debate and dialogue, which is very important. So mm-hmm. so I started, when I started putting stuff on Facebook, it became a place for conversation. And somebody was like, somebody left a comment one time. I was inbox and I said, like, dude, um, I don't check my Facebook that much. Yeah. Maybe you should put this in a book. Ooh, 
okay. Because I keep on trying to scroll down mm-hmm. to find previous conversations mm-hmm. and some of the stuff I want to read it again, but I can't find it anymore. Because, yeah. So, but by then, you know, that's in Google Docs. Like, everything I write is in Google Docs. Because mm-hmm. remember, my therapist was saying, save it. Okay, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So, my first book, I had over 300 topics. Mm-hmm. And I had to narrow that down to 50 for my first book. That must have been hard, too. So, the book was already written. Yeah. It was I just, edited. it just wasn't edited. I didn't have a format. I didn't know how to put a book together. The, all these other things I had to learn, but the content was already there. And that was hashtags, you know, mm-hmm. everything. And then the mistake I made, I thought I was being smart, so I gave him this long title because I thought I was being Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's actually the worst, like, the subtitle is the worst subtitle. Come up with a title that lets people know exactly what they're about to read. Yeah, and I noticed that between the second and the second. The yeah. second and the third do a better job. And it's, of, yeah, it's more... Yeah, the, the yeah. first book was like, oh my goodness, I was like smart, like, I was genius, check <laughs> like this title out. You want them to know exactly what like, they're getting. You know, because yeah. people like, they read the title, it's like hashtags, the dumbest, smartest things I've ever said. Like, it was just this long running title. Yeah. And it was great once people saw it, but how do you, in a conversation in an elevator, mm. I couldn't even remember my own book title. Ooh, so okay. how would someone else yeah. remember it? But um, So that's how my first book was written. It was a lot of learning. It was edited by a friend of mine who was, who was uh, doing a master's in English at Eastern. Hey, okay. You know, like, it's just these simple things. like. Yeah. And then, um, of course, the covers changed because that's that's a, another lesson I'll share later. Mm-hmm. But like, um, so that was the first book. Then the second book was. Remember, I said I had three hundred different topics. Yeah. So it included previous things I hadn't published because sometimes I'll look at something initially for the first book and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, this is boring. Then a year later, I read it and I'm like, this is good. Why yeah. did I leave it out? Because something changed. Something changed, yeah. you know. So I put that in. Then of course with new stories. Mm-hmm. And then what happened with the second book was that the people would come to me and be like. Dude, some of these stories, I don't know if they're real. Your friends can't be this weird. Uh-huh. And then <laughs> that's there's like, a lot. There's a lot. So with the third book, I'm like, hey, my weird friends uh-huh. contribute. Yeah. So oh, with the third yeah. with the third book, that's why you see like there's other people. Yeah. Other writers in that book. It's not just you. It's not just me. When I'm like, I have a friend who thinks monogamy is a selfish institution. Mm-hmm. You didn't believe me when I told you about it. Well, here's the story. This is her telling you exactly where she's coming from. Yeah. Like it was those type of things. So that's what made this third book different. You know. How, how hard was it to get people to con- contribute and like? It's not hard it. to get people who are interested. It's yeah. hard to get people who deliver stuff on time. Yes. Okay. Um, there are people who actually left out because they just didn't. because they just didn't get it to me on a timeline because I'm on a timeline. Yeah. And you do as many extensions as you can, but at some point the book has to come out. That is that's what me and Tasha and mm-hmm. my little sister and Isla are going through because we started a micro publishing company, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's so hard. Like you'll put the submission date on, and you'll be like, "All right, we're on a rolling basis," but at a certain point, we mm-hmm. can't take any more submissions, and no, like they'll keep saying, "Yeah." I'm going to yeah. send it in. Give me a little bit. It's a draft. I'm going to send it in. But then it just never It just never. Up. And I, I I learned to tell people, like, this project keeps on moving with or without you. Ooh, and I planned for the yeah. and I planned for those contingencies. Yeah. Because I had a full book. Yeah. I didn't need extra yeah. voices. Yeah. You know, so I structured it in such a way where whether or not people contribute or not. You still have something. And then another smart thing I did was I scouted people who had written blogs. Mm-hmm obscure blogs or certain things in the past. Yeah. And I contacted them. I said, Hey, you know, I like this topic. Would you wanna to adapt it 
For, for my book. So okay. sometimes it's about finding content that already exists. It mm-hmm. needs to be personalized. So there, there's one Zimbabwean writer. I think she wrote Sorry Not Sorry mm-hmm. in the third book. And so I went to her and said, hey, you know, yeah. it would be nice to have this be a part of my book. And she, she, was, she edited it, cleaned it up, and we put it in the book. And so, I guess to me, it was just one of those, and then there's another Australian activist. Like, yeah. he's done TED Talks, everything. I just sent him a message. And I was like, yo, you know, I know you're in Australia. Mm-hmm. I really like this thing. Yeah. Could you? And so, like, I asked people, but they knew, like, this project will keep moving with or without you and it's nothing personal and when it's friends they understand you know only someone who there's there's no hard feelings there's no hard feelings it's nothing personal i have a deadline on the project i need to do Mm -hmm. you might have life things you have going on so you can't prioritize my project Mm -hmm. so i'm not taking it personally that you're not submitting it though submitting stuff and i'm not taking it personally that you know and you're not taking it personally that i'm just like well, you both have to be really honest. Yeah, it's, it's a mutual yeah, understanding. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's, a, it's a mutual understanding that, yo, you know, understand that. Mm-hmm. I understand you got life stuff going on, so I'm not going to take that personally. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to stop talking to you because... Exactly, because you have through. to separate the, 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 yeah. the project from the friendship. Definitely. Um, and then the other thing I learned, with, I mean, so the process is different. Each book, one thing worked, one thing didn't. Mm-hmm. And you're perfecting the things that worked and mm-hmm. abandoning the things that didn't. Yeah. Um, with you, the can't, third, you can't keep doing the same You can't keep doing the same thing. So marketing, strategy, advertising, design. So with the third book, yeah, I did a great effort in doing the design and conceptualizing it. Yeah, you can definitely tell you the progress tell. when you're looking at them too. Like you know? Yeah. But then when I looked at it, I was like, oh my goodness, it's not making my previous two book covers crappy. <laughs> so that's what, so these are the redesigned book covers. Oh, yeah. Okay. These there, are was the, some there was before. a different one which was like it was. I, I made a good job of scrubbing it off the web. Oh, you did. <laughs> it, it's. I mean, there's still there. There's some people who still have those. No, I'm gonna have to find this. There's some people. If you go on my Facebook fan page, you'll find old looks before. for them before, before. But then, so I took the designer, the designer designed this, and like, yo, mm-hmm. redesign. Because another thing is that when you design your book cover, you have to also have to take into account that it's gonna be in a store next to other book covers. Yes. So you have to make sure it looks as good. Yep. Or better. Mm-hmm. So my third book then made me realize I need to go and get my previous covers redesigned. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I should work with the same designer. Yes. That way there's still some. And our workflow was perfect. Mm-hmm. So it was, and then he designed my fourth book cover. Wait, he, and who designed it? Um, if you look inside, he, have you heard of a site called Fiverr? No. Fiverr, or you need to Wait, say, wait, wait, the app, the one that you like. People can post what they want to do, and you pay them like five dollars a minute. Yeah, like right. you, yeah. You, I found that this. I mean, it's definitely about reading the ratings and looking at the work. But this design, he's this guy in Greece. Oh, he's based I in Greece. Minute, yeah. But we work like and him and I just have this amazing workflow together. Where mm-hmm. and with designers, what you know, and I as a designer myself, yeah. I think maybe that's what makes me more understanding. I just give him basics. Yeah, then you let them be creative. Because sometimes there's people who want to macro-manage too much. Yeah. I wanted this, then I want the A to look like an R, but with a V on top. Like, we get so specific, and it makes it so hard. <laughs> so with designers, you just say, here's my basic concept. Yeah, these are the things that need to be on there. Yeah, but, knock yeah. yourself out. With my fourth book cover, like, I went to another designer, and yeah. I communicated it well, but it just never delivered. So this guy was on re- I I delayed my book release. Mm-hmm. 
I waited for four months for him to become available. Because that's how much I like to work. So I pushed yeah, my book release like, okay. everything. Because I was like, if it's not him, yeah. this book isn't coming out. Because okay. that's how good. Yeah. This I guy like- is good. Like, when you see the her name was on Barbara cover. Yeah. So no, African, I did see it on yeah, yeah, your website. Yeah. It's just like, and how subtle it is. Because it was, I wanted it to look African. Yeah. But I wanted Zimbabweans to know. It's also, it's definitely Zimbabwe, besides the title. You know, that's why it has the Zimbabwe flag, like, obscurely yeah, to the left. Mm-hmm. And then it has the triangle patterns, which are very um, Zimbabwean in our architecture and everything. Those are, mm-hmm. you know, they represent water. They, they're very emblematic to our people. So yeah. anybody who knows the Zimbabwe flag, anybody who knows the great Zimbabwe ruins, a Zimbabwean can look at a certain marking. You're like, that's my people. And they'll know <laughs> this is Zimbabwe. But I wanted the woman. Yeah. To be African because it's it's about Zimbabwe, but it's not. It's the story of everybody. Kenya is going through it, mm-hmm. where we're liberated by one leader from one person, and yeah. then now we're just in this next abusive relationship. Yeah, and we're trying know. to figure out a way and, out of it. And that's why I was, you know, I wanted this to be a Zimbabwean story, but an African, African story, story too. You know, and so yeah. and but what makes that book different from this one and the ones I'm going to write afterwards is. With the girl named Zimbabwe, it's a short story, five thousand words, um, mm-hmm. ninety nine, and that's what I'm gonna stop doing. I'm gonna release long book then short, long short, long short. Okay. Because there's sometimes conversations I want to have. Yeah. That are too long to just condense to five pages. Yeah. But too short to be a full book. So she those are just like ninety nine cents installations in between. The bigger. The bigger one. And the next book that's coming, and I started the story here, but I'm starting to develop it further, is The Land of Abyssinia, mm-hmm. which is a story I've been developing. And what I like about that was going to be my first full-length novel from front to back. Mm-hmm. And it's a fantasy adventure influenced mm-hmm. by African mythology. Yeah. You know, think Harry Potter, think like Lord of the Rings, where I feel like there's no contemporized African you know, but it really pulls at different African myths yeah. and legends. A lot of them from Zimbabwe. That is so dope. And, I, I need you and Tosh and, to like sit down and talk <laughs> to each other because that is literally her life. She writes so many um, adventure, fantasy adventure. Novels. And maybe her and I can, can collaborate. Yeah, you yeah. know, because because one thing where I'm stuck right now with my book mm-hmm. is um, because it's also a historical fiction. Mm-hmm. So it's going to weave between fantasy and Not real history. Yeah. And real, because the point of the book is to really be a story that, and I'm writing it for young teens, be a yeah. story that teens can read. Mm-hmm. It's two stories. It's two, it's two layers. Because okay. it's a story that's written as if I'm telling a story to my friend. And this is true. How the land of Abyssinia came about yeah. is true. Abyssinia is one of my best friends. Like Her daughter's name is Abyssinia. Mm-hmm. And the kid I'm telling the story to, Channing, mm-hmm. is those two kids are best friends. Their mothers are best friends. And Channing and I was sitting one day, and he's like, "Tell me a story about let's make up a story about dragons uh-huh. and so forth." And then Abyssinia, she wanted to be involved, but she was so young, she mm-hmm. didn't. She, so I was just like, "Let's call it the land of Abyssinia." Oh, right. So this is based. So it's a story about me building this relationship with this kid, this loving relationship, mm-hmm. where it's not my biological child, but there's... You have a role to it's, play. It's, it's an intergenerational yeah. 
affection, you know, like, you know, this, because I consider my nephew, I consider him, you know, I mean, because his parents are, like, my best friends. Mm -hmm. And these kids have been around me for years. Yeah. You know, and Abby, so, but what I've been struggling with is, um, kind of seeing what's relevant and seeing what isn't. Because sometimes as authors, Ooh, yes. we can get carried away with like describing the chair. I the chair you, was mahogany, <laughs> like da 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 da. And then, alright, uh, I'm writing a book too, and uh-huh. I was listening to a podcast. It's called uh, Writing Excuses. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Please go listen. To I it. need to go listen to that. Yeah, because they give you homework assignments uh-huh. at the end of each episode. But one of them was write a short story or seven thousand words, and then. Go back in and read it again and take out like a thousand words. And then go back in and take out another thousand words until it stops making sense. And that's when you know that you've reached like peak clarity, basically. Yeah, because to me, it was, it was one of those things where I felt like I was, there was a lot, because it's a, like the concept of the story is really, because it's also about these two, because it, it, it follows religion it's really yeah it, it follows the it, the creation of religion yeah uh the inter i don't know it's this is but i was trying to find it's a story where i also wanted to be confusing in the sense that there is no real villain oh good okay that that's kind of real worldish though because yeah because everybody thinks they're doing good the right thing yes but in doing the right thing it could be hurting people you know, regardless. So. Because the whole essence of the show, and I condense it to this question, and I've asked it on Facebook before, mm-hmm. the whole essence of the book is you have two choices. God comes to you one day. Mm-hmm. I'm just dumbing down the premise of the book. Mm-hmm. But but God comes to you one day and says, Lydia, there's this red button. Yes. You have a choice. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you don't hit this button, yeah. humanity lives for the next hundred years. Mm-hmm. For the planet dies. Because you guys are destroying everything. Or I can give you this red button and you can hit it, and humanity and everything we've done to the planet will be erased. But every other living creature will be just fine. Will be just fine. And the planet will survive without you. It's better off without you. What do you do? Woo! And so that's what yeah. the book that's what the book is. It's that conflict of Okay. And that's there's no bad guy. There's just two philosophical sides that feel like. Yeah, oh, that reminds me of my bio ethics class. <laughs> oh, that's dope. Uh, I'm gonna give you a book before you go. You can return it whenever. But um, it's called Ishmael. Oh yeah, yeah. Let, and, let me read it. Yeah, it's about um this guy basically, and he he goes to meet this gorilla, and the gorilla is like a philosopher. Oh yeah. Yeah, and he's leading him through how humanity, like, deciding which parts of humanity are good and bad and mm-hmm. how that impacts the world and mm-hmm. how we think that the world didn't exist before humankind, basically, and all of those. Because that's, that's what mine also does, right? Because it's one person where it says, like, look at all these wars, humanity or, humanity is bad. Mm-hmm. And another person that, but look after these wars. Humanity. They end them and come together. Yeah. So it's just like... What to do, what to do. What to do, like, are they bad or good? Yeah. Or just for the end of saving argument, let's just erase them. 
Because we don't see the bigger picture. We don't see how... Yeah, and with literature, there's no new idea underneath the sun. There's just new ways of having the same conversation. True. You know, and so, um, like, I... So I say this to say that, you know, the premise, the the philosophy behind my book or any text is nothing new. Mm -hmm. What's always new is just how do we have the same conversation in new ways that reach people in different ways. You know... Race, the conversation of race is always the same, but you can desire, you can decide to make a sci-fi movie as a metaphor, or just you could be straight up in people's faces and protest. You know, yeah. The conversation is always the same. The philosophical themes behind them are always the same, okay. but how we engage people in those conversations are always different. And how we approach them. That's why I always tell people. So don't be discouraged if you feel like somebody is doing an idea. That's, I mean. The elements, of course, there's, there's an element where there's popping ideas and then just being inspired by the same yeah. premise. And that's what writing is always difficult, is understanding that there's new, no new idea underneath the sun. Yeah. But at the same time, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. You know, because yep. we connect to people in different ways. We connect to new audiences and... And you it's know. your take. Your it is that, it's your yeah. interpretation. It's you telling the story the way you feel you would connect. Because yeah. always write the story the way you would want to. Not for other people, but for not yourself. Not for, for yourself. Because yeah. chances are there's other people who think exactly like you. Because as much as we all like to think we're unique and special, we're, we're not. not. <laughs> you know, we're not. There's nothing. Yeah. I think that all the time because like sometimes I'll have an idea and I want to create like an app or I want to create a product or something and then I'll Google it and somebody has already done mm-hmm. it and mm-hmm. I'm like you go like, and sometimes there's nothing wrong with saying hey you created it but I'd like to add these little elements yeah. to partner because me that. I'm definitely open to co-writing that's dope I'm yeah. definitely open to collaboration in fact I welcome it because yeah that's how we also tap into new audiences you know I agree yeah and that's how we learn too that's how we learn it it's just that the only reason why I don't collaborate is that I have a certain level of efficiency <laughs> and some people and productivity like that. that I and certain level of discipline I have mm-hmm. that if I'm set on writing my book mm-hmm. and publishing I'm gonna get it done yeah and I don't have time to <laughs> wait now on and on okay what? so how do you set your schedule? Like, how much time do you give yourself to write? Okay. To write? Um, yeah. So I can, I can do it two different ways where yeah. I can put myself under pressure. So with the first two books, I set a release date. And then did it? Yeah. I tell everybody, it's coming. This is when it's coming. Oh, my God. And okay. so I give myself a year. Okay. All right. Right? A year. Yeah. And it's coming, whether you like it or not. And then some things, like her name was Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe is... An important presidential election next year. Yeah. So that was the timeline. Okay. I needed to get it out there at least six months before the election. It doesn't matter what specific date. Yeah. I just, just needed it to be out and in people's mindset, yeah. social media, on their apps and so forth before. So that was the timeline where, because some timelines you choose. Mm-hmm. If your book is about relationships, yeah. then it's best for it to come out during Valentine's. Right, so yeah. you have or to right see, after. or right after Valentine. <laughs> so February might be your deadline. Yeah. Now, if you start writing in November, is two months a reasonable deadline, or yeah. the following year the better deadline? So those things, some deadlines are set for you depending on the genre you're writing in, mm-hmm. or depending on what you feel is the best timeline for you. Mm-hmm. My books used to be scheduled right when school starts. Oh, why? Because people have money. 
<laughs> you know, they have money to burn. Uh, yeah, you know, okay, it's yeah. back to school. You're in the bookstore for sure. But now I'm learning that sometimes summer is the best time because now people need summer reading. Yep. Especially books that are for kids because home your kids are home and you want to keep them busy. So now you... And you don't want to, and I realized school time is also a bad time to release the book because now people also have their school books. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they have no time. They don't have time for recreational reading. Yeah. Right? So, and so that's just, with this book, when men cheat more, women cheat better, I didn't set a timeline. I just told myself it'll be done when it's done. Okay. And that one took me two years. Mm -hmm. Not because I was writing continuously, but because I'd write for three months, then I'd just chill for three months, then ride again, then chill, like, yeah. and I, that's when I was moving from Idaho to Seattle, so yeah. you're getting acclimated, and so there's so many other moving parts. Mm-hmm. Um, with Her Name Was Zimbabwe, that was written over three months. It's a short book. Yeah, short, that's a short Quick time. concept. Um, yeah. I'd talk to people, I'd really, I really had a skeleton from different parts I'd written, I was just condensing it into one concise yeah. story and idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was three months and then I gave my time, myself time to edit and so forth. So I'm just sitting on it. And then with Land of Abyssinia, I'm thinking summer 2018. Ooh, okay. That's coming up quick though. Yeah. And yeah. I'm I'm halfway through. Okay. So I'm just struggling. A part of the thing, another thing I'm struggling is I'm learning um, novel structure. Yeah. Character development, story arc. So Dialogue. it's a book I'm also having to study for because yeah. I'm used to writing short stories. I'm not used to writing a progression. Yeah. Like a hero's journey. Like exactly. <laughs> so so that character development and also still deciding whether or not it ends on a happy note or everybody dies or I don't know yet. Oh my god, yeah. That's the yeah. hard part coming to an end. Like exactly. a, an end that makes you sense. You know your beginning the middle is what I'm struggling with. Really like Climax of the story. Yeah, the climax of the story. I feel like the end um, is, I know I have a rough idea of what the end should be. Yeah. It's the middle where sure, the point right. of conflict, the point of high conflict, the point of tension. That's funny. That's where I am too, actually. You know, that's the toughest part because you don't know if it's high enough. And if it's justified. You know? Yeah. But since I'm writing for kids, it's not necessary too. Yeah. You know, because another thing I've been doing in study is watching Disney movies, Moana and so forth, seeing mm-hmm. like... Does it have dark, you know, how high concept does it have to be? Or it can still be still very... Because when you look at Moana, it's a very basic concept. Mm-hmm. It's a good story. It's yeah. a good story, but simple, mm-hmm. you know. And so, for me, I think that's what's going to be... Um, I think I have the character, everything. Yeah. I just need to know if it's going to be... I button it up in the end, or I leave it at a point of debate and conversation. Okay. Leave, leaving it in the present. I feel like I'm going to leave it in the present. Like, okay. describing the world as it is. Yeah. Kind of like saying, and this is where we find ourselves today. Separate sides, separate so what people, do we do? separate cultures. Okay. And we can become this or become that. So you're literally putting it in the hands of the readers. Like, exactly. Putting the hands of the reader and yeah. making them be conscious of that. It's a question. Oh, you're gonna love this book. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, that's what. Yeah. And I had an artist there, and it's good because I started visualizing how what it could get to. So it's also also thinking like an animated aspect, or maybe it becomes more of a comic where it's more of an anime themed, an African anime which I've never seen. Can, oh my god! Can you do an African animated movie? 
I don't know, like, because I'm reading, because I'm, I'm writing it from different perspectives, from something that's read, from something yeah. that could become animated, yeah. from something that could be a graphic novel. That would be I'm contemplating a graphic novel. That would be dope. I mean, all of those avenues, because you don't really see those kinds of things out there in the first place. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. the problem with being a minority. You, if, if you don't decide to do it, then mm-hmm. it's just never going to exist. The tricky thing is finding someone who you can afford to but, do it, yeah. And I've been researching these grants actually as writers. Yes, these grants see. for writers where you can just take a year off and they'll give you twenty grand to just do it. To just do it. And there's a lot. I'm I'm seeing a lot in Africa now, mm-hmm. just starting mm-hmm. to come up because I know Kenya has this like mm-hmm. initiative for the younger generation to start businesses mm-hmm. or fund projects. The Commonwealth has a writing competition. What do yeah. you do scripts? Um, they have a writing competition, like, from different regions. Yeah. Oh, it has to be, like, short stories. I think it has to be, like, 5,000 words or less or something. Yeah. Wow. I think okay, I, couldn't, cool. I couldn't qualify because I'm in the States. Mm-hmm. So I not think. for the diaspora, basically. I, I didn't read about I mean, the only reason why I, did, I decided not to do it was that it couldn't be something. Because had I waited, like... Come across it two months ago. Yeah, her name was Zimbabwe. Could have been a submission, Ooh. but because I already yeah put it out there, it's already available. It can't be anything that's been published or has to be brand or partially published. It has to be completely new work. Yeah. So I'm gonna look into that. Find try find a writing grant where and say like, look, I want to I want this to be a graphic novel, mm-hmm. but I don't have funding. Uh, and I would like to hire somebody to do it to so do it's it. like, as good yeah, as possible. Because maybe a graphic novel would be a better way to go versus it being... Because what is describing is very vivid because it's describing gods and all these things and yeah. supernatural creatures. Yeah. And I know what they look like in my head. But you'd have to describe it to somebody else. Exactly. Yeah. And it's it's just text. Yeah. I need to show you some of the artwork though that my my friend came up with for yes, it. Yes, please. It's, oh my it's God. amazing. Yeah. It's amazing artwork, but I don't know. I definitely okay. down. <laughs> Wait, how long have we? We've been doing it for a while. Like, really? I, I'm, I'm oh my God. Than, I'm more than happy. Or we can do it oh, again sometime. Perfect. Yeah, this is like an hour. Okay. Yeah. Um, I wanted you to kind of plug. Your work that's coming out, or like wow, gosh, I'm always working on so many different projects and where people can follow you. So. But I think, um, I think right now, I think the main project, if I call it a project, is you know, her name was Zimbabwe, my book, which is um, it's available for pre order, it's an ebook exclusively. I'm not doing a paperback version of it, it's just 99 cents on Amazon. Um, it's a piece of social commentary relating to Zimbabwe and its current political situation, but mm-hmm. it's applicable to every other African country that finds itself at this weird um, yeah. impasse where, you know, you're ruled by these people who said they would protect you from these oppressive regimes and they themselves become mm-hmm. the very manifestation of what they say mm-hmm. they were protecting us against. Um, so to me, that's my latest project um, as it pertains to something people can access from anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. you know, because I do have things like Shades of Black and so forth, but that's more of a regional project. Yeah, not you anything know, um, mm-hmm. My blog, com forward slash blog, mm-hmm. people always find my rants on there, which can be very informative, very insightful. Um, very thought-provoking. Some, sometimes just random. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... I always encourage people to, but the best places to find me is always like social media. 
the beauty of having unique African names is that when people Google Twapi V or it's just you know, you. it's just me. Yeah. So I'm very, very easy to find. Oh. Very easy to find. So um, yeah, I don't know if it's anything else. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to, you know, oversaturate the plugs because sometimes <laughs> you listen to the podcast and people give you their like their Twitter, their Instagram, their website, website their Facebook, their, yes. their social security <laughs> number, their mailing address, and it just becomes so overwhelming. So. Yeah, you don't know what to do with it. Exactly. So That was it. This was fun. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. This was so much fun. <laughs>